welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com Cassie will introduce today's guest. This week on episode 468, we check in with Maggie Lafay, who is no longer in New York, but has moved overseas to Amsterdam. How does a kinkster in the scene for 50 years jump to a new home a thousand miles away, restart a kink life? Maggie tells us about her journey, finds new friends, deals with COVID restrictions, and learns how immigration works when moving to Europe. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max and Cassie. Online with me from Amsterdam in the Netherlands is Maggie LaFay. How are you? I am great, and I'm so glad to be back here again tonight. We are so glad to hear you back. And any of our listeners that remember your name from before, it was Maggie LaFay in New York. Yes, it was for over 65 years. Yeah. Let's see. I love in your writing, you have kinky for 50 years. That That's Fantastic. I just love that. Other than being incredibly kinky for a, a long time, a couple things came along and changed your life. And we'll start with COVID. Yeah. What happened to you? So you're in what, upstate New York? I was in upstate New York. I was living what I thought was a fairy tale. I thought I was going to be with my partner at that time forever. And we were happy. We lived upstate in a big, beautiful home. And then COVID happened, and I found myself cut off from my family who live over here in Amsterdam. And it was difficult. It was hard to be apart from them. It was just like everybody else dealt with the isolation and the difficulties of all of a sudden working from home. And there I was with my partner 24-7, and it just didn't work out. It was, It really became more and more obvious to me that I needed to move to Europe. That regardless of even expecting that, well, surely someday the, the way will open to get over here again and all of the limits will go away. I just thought, how do I know what will happen next? And so I really felt strongly I needed to live near my family. I paid attention to the laws and the different regulations of how you could get into Europe. And for a long time, you just could not. And then one day they opened up a way that if you were already legally someplace in either the EU or the UK, and this was pre-Brexit, then you could travel freely into the Netherlands. And so that's what I did. I flew to London and I stayed there for two and a half weeks, two weeks of it in quarantine. And then I came over in September of 2020. Well, what about all your personal effect? Yeah, that was an interesting thing. As it turns out, the most important things in life are definitely not things. And so I put my house on the market. I, when I bought that ticket to fly over here, I bought it two weeks in advance. And during those two weeks, I put all my furniture up on Facebook Marketplace, put the house, as I said, on the market, packed up everything that I thought meant something to me and stuck them into storage units and then came over here. And I've been back twice. And both times I cleared out more and more stuff out of the storage units. The last time I had people who do estate sales come over and clear out all but one very small unit that has photographs and stuff like that in it and just sold everything. Said, I really don't need all this crap. 
There's something to be said about the anchors that hold you down. Yep. My mom always used to say our possessions possess us. And this was one of the big learnings for me during COVID was that I was not going to let those possessions possess me. And yeah, I had a lot of stuff. I have been collecting things for 60 some odd years. And I had a partner who came into the relationship with a whole house full of stuff too. There was a lot of physical items to just consort through. And in the end, the only things that the things I came here with, I came with three suitcases and people laughed at some of the stuff that was in there because I had a, a cast iron pot that belonged to my great grandmother that, of course, got me stopped every step of the way. They, they thought I was carrying a bomb or something. What's a hat? I, yeah, I had a silver mirror with me that must have looked like a dagger through the x-ray because that also got everything torn apart. What is this? And it was an antique mirror that belonged to my mom. I brought some clothes and I don't even know what else, some books, some things that I felt I just really couldn't be parted with. And they, it was really interesting to me anyway, to look at some of the little tchotchkes, little photographs or pieces of pottery that my daughter had made when she was a child. They made it into the bags. It's amazing that one can part with all your life's possessions. And believe me, I've thought about it too. And I look at this giant anchor around my legs, just trying to, if I did want to do that. And I am almost tempted to do it also because I, I lived in the Netherlands for six years and I love it there. It's just hard to say how to pick up a life, which you did. And I really admire you for doing it. I would not have done it if my daughter and the rest of my family didn't live here. There wasn't anything else that was going to make that much of a difference that I would just leave everything behind. They are my only family. She's an only child and I also was an only child. So there were no other relatives staying behind. Okay. So you're sitting in London in quarantine. Where did you do this? It was at a hotel. Oh, now I'm forgetting the name of the hotel, but it was somewhere on the east side of London, I believe. And it was the one hotel that was offering a, a pandemic special for two, a two-week quarantine. And they gave you a big room with windows, which was important to me, and two meals a day. And you came down and picked up the breakfast, and the breakfast turned out to be big enough, really, to split into a breakfast and lunch. And then you could also sit there with your box breakfast. There was a little section that was the quarantine section of the restaurant, and we all could go there for dinner, too. So I guess they just figured we would get each other sick and nobody else if we were infected. But it was the tables were far apart from each other, and it felt pretty safe. And for two weeks, I, I had to be in my room or down there for a meal and was not allowed to leave the hotel. But the room was bright and sunny and painted bright yellow and had cheerful pictures on the walls and stuff. I used to go out and march through the halls to exercise. I had my watch on telling me how far I had walked. And it turned out there was a circle around the upstairs halls that was a tenth of a mile. So I did that 10 times a day hearing music in my head and dancing down the way. And so one of my friends said, maybe you should do that with music that other people can hear. So they won't think you're totally crazy with what you're doing, which I thought was pretty funny. And 
the waiter downstairs told me, oh, no, you've already got a reputation up there on the third floor. New country, new reputation, ready to go. There it is. I had a personal trainer I worked out with three times a week over Zoom. And I read about the Netherlands and I tried to start learning Dutch, that, which is an ongoing process. But that's what I did for two weeks. And then the last three days when I was allowed out, I didn't really want to go anywhere. So I went across the street and sat in a park every day in the sun. Off to Amsterdam you went, and then you landed in your new home country, and your family was there, and so you had to find a place to live. How was that? I had actually found a place two months earlier because I I couldn't believe that it was going to be so hard to get in. I actually had tickets to come in early August, and the last week of July, we found an apartment through a relocation consultant, and rented the apartment. And then there it sat for all of August and basically all of September, but it gave us time and gave my family time to go over and paint it and make it nice. And so when I landed, I already had an apartment that was a furnished apartment even ready for me to just walk. Okay. Here you are a stranger in a strange land and just trying to figure out what your life is going to be. Yes. And in the beginning, it was so strange. It was, there were times when I would go to the supermarket and just stand there looking at all these things on the shelf. And I wasn't even sure what they were. I couldn't read the language. I didn't know. Sometimes I didn't know what I was looking for. So I would walk into the supermarket and straight in front of me was this big refrigerator cooler section. And I would look at it and I couldn't figure out what these things were. And then, and where the hell do they keep the potatoes? I kept wondering, and which they were right behind me, but I always walked straight in and walked past them. Those things in the cooler section were potatoes. There were two whole like refrigerator sections full of peeled potatoes in bags in different states of readiness so that you should never have to peel a potato or cut up an onion or there are just all these pre-packaged vegetables all ready to pop into the oven or pop into a stew. But I didn't, I literally was in such culture shock. I couldn't recognize the potatoes for almost a month. Some of them look like eggs in a bag. And I didn't know what the word was. I'm looking at the thing. I'm like, I don't know what those are. I better go get what I'm looking for. And it took a really long time to figure out that those were potatoes. Potatoes and art apple. Yeah. Art apple. Soft. Art apple. That's what those are. An earth apple. Right. Yeah. And so finding what is what in a grocery store is certainly a great amount of fun. And when I moved there, I was only three blocks or so from the market. And I said, I'm just going to walk down there and be a healthy walk. And so I bought this and that and a case of beer and thinking there's a car right out in the parking lot. I had to carry that all back to my apartment. Ah. And of course, when you buy things, they don't have plastic bags for you to put things in. You have the option of going to this machine and paying for a bag to put them in, but you're supposed to bring your canvas bags because it's earth conscious and all that. It took me a little bit to get used to that idea because we're not here. One of the things for me is that I quickly decided that I just had no more concern about whether things looked a certain way. So I have a granny cart that I use when I go to the supermarket. And anybody who thinks I look old carrying that back, 
It looks better than what it would look like with me, like falling down to the ground trying to carry the heavy bag. Exactly. I used that, especially in my other apartment. I used that every time pretty much that I went to the supermarket, which was very close by. And those people in the market, because for the first, oh my goodness, I'd say for the first six months or so that I was here, we were on one lockdown after another. There were, there were times where you couldn't go out after a certain time at night. There were, you never knew what was going to be closed next. At one point, this was, the gyms were open, then they were closed, and they were open, then they were closed. The one thing that never shut down, a couple of things that never shut down while I was here, they never shut down the weed shops while I was here, although I understand they did try in the beginning, that just didn't fly. And they did not shut down the flower shops. Flowers were considered to be an essential service. I mean, there were a lot of things you could not get at times and a lot of stores that were closed or could only, they could only serve you if you ordered ahead, but the flower shops were always open. And the coffee shops. And the coffee shops. That's right. And which, which you, really served coffee. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you want coffee, go to a cafe. Exactly. Big fun. And so now you're settling into the new society and you have to go to a place called the aliens police and register and all that happy stuff. And so we get to go through the process that everybody's talking about here of people coming into the United States, only we do it backwards. It was very different, I'll tell you, very different than what I understand people face in the States. I applied for my permit, my visa, which allowed me the first, actually I'm in the process right now of applying for the next one that will let me stay for five years. But the first one was for two years. And um, people were so nice to me. They were helpful. When I had to go and register at the IND, I was treated with the utmost respect. My daughter was with me because she spoke Dutch and I don't. And she had something she needed. I can't even remember what. But they were like, oh, we can take care of that for you right now while you're here too. And there were no lines. There were, we had an appointment. People smiled. They were pleasant and they were. They're, now, I will say they are very nosy. So when I had to register at the Amente level, at the locality, the city, I yeah. had to give them all kinds of documents because um, the name on my birth certificate is not the same as the name on my passport because I got married after I was born and I kept my married name. So they, I had to prove how I had gotten from the first name to the current name. And so that meant I had to show my marriage certificate. And then I had to show my my divorce certificate that stated that I could maintain the married name. And I thought, oh, that's cool. So that's what I'll bring. But a little part of my brain said, maybe I should bring everything. Maybe I should just make sure I have copies of every marriage and divorce certificate because I was married more than once or more than twice, in fact. And so while I brought to the town or to the city, I brought them the one marriage certificate and divorce certificate, and I had them all apostilled, which I had never even heard of before I moved here, but it's a higher level of having something notarized. And, and they took it all, and they said, thank you, this is fine, and all. And then a day or two later, I get an email saying, your marriage certificate says that you were married prior to that marriage. We need to see... All of those papers. We have to see all the marriage certificates and all the divorce certificates. 
And I'm thinking, why do you? But fortunately, I had them all and I was able to email them and they did not require that those get alpastille. So I was love paperwork. They do. But all in all, it was a very pleasant experience. It was not the kind of nightmare and people treating you with suspicion or whatever. And of course, that has to do with the fact that I was coming over from the U.S., not as a refugee, but as a, an American who they have a special treaty with to allow that kind of emigration to go back and forth. The one thing that I found very interesting is when they asked for my birth certificate, they looked at it with a certain amount of suspect, and they said, this isn't your birth certificate. I said, yes, it is. They said it doesn't have your marriages on it or your, your christening and all that sort of stuff. I said, in the U.S., we don't do that. They do. Interesting. As I said, they wanted to know everything. And right. I think I did bring my baptismal certificate with me as well. And they, I believe they took that. Oh, yes, we want that too. Yep, because they build, they build an entire record of your life. And in, in one point of view, I think that's good that somebody keeps track of my life because I can't. And some people will say it's governmental overreach. We have people in this country that move around with quite a lot of freedom, and the government doesn't know where they are for taxes, for even safety security, or finding a loved one, or whatever it is. In the Netherlands, I can find anybody very quickly. Yeah, and I, I was impressed with the fact that I had all that paperwork I squirreled away in my own files. And as I said, as I was going through everything, getting ready to leave, the things that I felt I needed were what I brought with me. And all that paperwork was, in fact, one of the things I thought I might need. And as it turned out, I did. Okay, so you're getting settled in and you have your family there. But what's the dating like there? At first, of course, with everything shut down, it wasn't even just dating. It was, there was nothing. There was no way to connect with people. There was no way to, to meet people. The only people I talked to were the Uber drivers and the, uh, and the shopkeepers. But eventually, things started to open up a little bit. And I tried going on to um, Tinder first. I thought, well, one of my neighbors was married to another woman. And I'm like, where do you meet other women? Because I was definitely, and still am, definitely more interested in, in meeting women than men. And uh, she said, oh, I don't know. Maybe you should go on Tinder. I think that was the wrong answer, honestly. <laughs> but, but I went on Tinder and um, I put up like minimal profile. It didn't even have a picture yet or anything. And I stepped away from the computer for 10 minutes. And I went back and there were like 68 loves on it already. And... And like, oh, this is, I don't know what to do about this. So I better, and of course, I didn't know who they were because I had put up a free profile. So that doesn't let you see who it is. It's just, you know, that there are all these people saying they want to meet you. So I thought, well, maybe I should pay for it for a month so I can find out who all these people are. And I did that. And they were virtually all men, even though I had said I wanted to meet either or. And the women did not speak English. The women my age just simply did not speak English. And meanwhile, in the time that I'm reading this and figuring this out, almost a hundred more people have liked me. So I quickly said, oh, I can't cope with this. And I, I changed my profile that I only wanted to meet women. 
and still an issue because they were not speaking English. But I found a couple of women who did speak English. And I went on a date with one who was lovely and a really, really fun, really nice woman. And um, we ended up forming a friendship that remains till now. And she decided she was going to help me meet all the other lesbians that she knew. But they were all much younger than me. So I, I ended up going out dancing at places that started at 11 at night and ended at four in the morning. And it's okay. I'm going to have to keep trying because while these folks are really nice, this is not my group. I have not found the right group yet. So then I tried Bumble and I opened it up again to men and women. And I actually dated a guy for a little while for, I, I don't know, a month or so. And he was nice enough, but again, we didn't have that much in common. And so I wasn't really meeting people. I was, it was just like a, here's one person here and here's one person there. And I, meanwhile, life continued on. I had figured out what the potatoes were and had learned some more, a little bit more Dutch. And I started to write about my life in the Netherlands. As small as it was, I still thought there were things that were funny. So I started writing about how funny I thought the food was, for example, and that the potatoes were hidden in plain sight. And I don't even know what, but I just started talking about my experiences with food and making fun of the Dutch cuisine. It turns out the Dutch are very good at making fun of themselves. And so when I started making jokes about the Netherlands, people who I didn't know on FedLife started commenting on my writing because it said Dutch on it and it started getting attention and then more people started commenting on it. And so I wrote some pieces about the weather because there was going to be a snowstorm. And oh my God, that was a big deal. People were talking about that snowstorm for days before it got here. And oh, by the way, when it got here, I think it was like maybe three inches of snow. <laughs> But yeah, was, for you, New Yorker, it's nothing there. Oh, well, it's nothing. It was absolutely nothing. But it was great because everybody was excited and they closed everything down. And we all went to the park with the dogs and had a great time. And that gave me like three things to write about. And again, all these Dutch people started contacting me and I started making some friends. And it really allowed me to start to develop a real sense of community. People are very friendly and warm, especially within the King community. I got invited to speak at a at an amazing international pop-up art, kinky art event called Cape Now. And it meant stop it now. And it was about stopping ableism and stopping prejudice. And I got to speak about aging in the scene. And there were other people who did art presentations and other presentations. And that let me meet a bunch of people, too. And it was really phenomenal. There were 500 people there. And it was just a great event. And then I started looking at munches. And I started going to a women's munch. And that really launched me into the scene in a much more focused kind of way. So you found community. I did. I found, I especially found community when I started going to quick munches, which is kinky women into kinky women. And it is 
It's a group that is dedicated as women's space with women being defined very broadly that obviously trans women are women, people who are non-binary but identify as having having lived experience as a woman in one way or another are also welcome. I believe that people who are trans men but lived most of their life as women and are still transitioning and that they're welcome as well because they shouldn't be suddenly locked out of their community. So it's a broad definition of women, but it's very, again, women-centric. And they have a munch every month at a, at a local lesbian bar in Baku. And they, I actually spoke to the organizers earlier today to say, do you have plans for the future? Because obviously quick will come up when I'm talking. And they're intending to continue the monthly munches. And also they had a couple of parties this year that were great. And they're going to keep doing those too. And so that's been, that's really become my home base in terms of meeting kinky people and getting to know where the parties were and where the fun is. And it's been, it's been a great entree for me. That sounds fantastic. And so you're getting comfortable with it. You said you were learning the language. How's that coming? Not great. I'm not even going to try to say something in it right now because my accent is bad. And a couple of things. One is I don't think it's easy to learn a language in your 60s. I don't think our brains are as welcoming of that. But I'm trying and I often understand what people are saying now. I don't, And if I'm reading it, I can almost always figure out what's going on. Unlike when I first got here and just sometimes cried in the supermarket because I didn't know what I was looking at. But it's coming. I've taken a class. I have, I've been doing online stuff. And this is the year that I am dedicated that I'm going to learn Dutch. At least to the point where I can have lightweight conversations. <laughs> when I lived there, I could carry on a conversation with a four-year-old or get slapped in a bar, either one. You gotta watch out that horror word. <laughs> Yeah, because never quite sure what that means. I know. Somebody said something was lecker whore, and I thought they were calling me a tasty prostitute. <laughs> nope. Not nope. so much. Smocklick. Yeah. So th th there's lots of little accent words that are fun, and you have to throw them in the right place. Otherwise, it means something completely different. Also, for you Americans out there that are listening to this, the subject is the last word in the sentence right before the period. So you have to listen to the whole thing. And then you figure out what they're talking about. Dutch is definitely an interesting language. And I got to really love how the different provinces around the country have the different accents. And there's even dialects that split off. I was getting to the point where I could understand it pretty well. And then I talked to a fellow down in the Brabant province, and I could not understand a word he said. It's like being in the deep south in the U.S. In the, what did they say? Yeah, it's something to look forward to for me once I'm actually speaking what is spoken here in, in Holland, because I'm in North Holland, then if I go to Friesland or to Mastique, I understand that it's going to be different in either place. And I had that experience in the South when I was a young mother. I moved down to Richmond for a while. And when I first got there, I remember getting on a bus and the bus driver saying, asking the bus driver a question. And his answer was unintelligible. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in a foreign country and I don't speak the language. So I'm, I, now in I'm Virginia. in Virginia. 
Now, here again, in a foreign country, and I don't speak the language, but they're pretty much, except for the other 65-plus-year-old women, everybody pretty much speaks English. And so it's not as necessary, but to be able to socialize and really become part of the community, I think it's really important to learn Dutch. So I'm going to, and my friends from Quick have all assured me that they'll help. Yes, for the group to help me when I was there. They used to conduct the uh, the management meetings in Dutch and said, keep up, Woody. Anyway, it's been uh, an interesting time. And I think you're going to have a great time there. It's a wonderful place to live. The going outdoor, bicycling around, just seeing things, looking at the seasons, the trees, the canals, everything is so beautiful there. Oh, I love my bike. I love riding my bike all immune. And there are cultural things here that they surprise me every day. I'm, it's always something new. One of the really fun new things was to realize while the Dutch seem to be very efficient and things are in boxes and neat and orderly and not particularly flashy like that, step inside a sauna and suddenly you may find yourself surrounded with this like luxuriousness and all done naked. That people, people just, especially the older Dutch people, like to go to the sauna naked. The one I go to has a few days a week that are the bathing suit days, and you only see tourists there on the bathing suit days. But on the naked days, it's all the old Dutch women and the old Dutch men, and everybody's just enjoying themselves. And it's not a sexual thing. It's just a, you're at the sauna, and that's what you do. You go and you take off all your clothes. So you can, in, in New York, we would call it Schwitz. So you can sweat and whatever they call it here, it is a lot of fun. And it's, it's one of the more pleasurable things that I did not have in New York. I had a hot tub on my back porch, but I didn't have all this access to saunas and this gorgeous swimming pool. And, and it is, it's lovely. It's part of the gym I belong to and. I get to go there pretty regularly. Sounds fantastic. We look forward to hearing your adventure in the Netherlands. And just as a threat, we're going to come visit you and we'll catch up the next episode face to face and see how things are going there. I am really looking forward to that. All right. So that will be coming up in April and May. So we'll have some awesome. fun. All right, Miss Maggie, thank you so much for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. You have been listening to the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast, and we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max.